Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. And we are live with the Standing Room Spartans podcast. Your host, Kevin Parker, your co-host, Scott Martin, here as we always are on a Monday morning. A little bit different Monday morning here as we were idle over the weekend. Hopefully everybody enjoyed their weekends. Whether you're watching the insane college football that was happening that we'll talk about a little bit here. Um, Or taking the weekend off, uh, which is always, you know, I know appreciated by girlfriends, wives, family members. Uh, I hope you enjoyed uh, the weekend and and we'll get to some of that. We are here today to break down Michigan week. Uh, So Wednesday, we will preview the game and we'll talk about this year's rendition of this rivalry. But today we wanted to kind of go back in the past a little bit. And this will be a little bit of a nostalgia episode, I think, for a lot of people. I have some things from way back in the past that we'll hit on some things from like games in the 1910s and stuff that had some funny stories attached to it. Uh, But we'll mostly focus on more of the modern area era of Michigan, Michigan state games that, you know, as you're listening that hopefully you either remember were alive for, or heard your dad tell stories about. So we'll get to all of that Uh, before we do again, it's uh, you know, you guys are listening on a Monday, but due to the the future of of well technology and podcasting we are here on a sunday and it's uh early afternoon scott how are we doing today well we made it seven and oh versus seven and oh um northwestern didn't come up with what might have been the least um expected upset of the weekend i don't think anyone was really banking on that but uh Michigan held on this weekend. Obviously, we were idle this weekend. A um, little bit of chaos around the conference. Penn State, Illinois, with the upset of the weekend. Um, I don't Nine know if you watched overtimes. that game. So this was my first foray with the um, two-point conversion shootout. I don't know how many games have gone to the – I think now this that is the first one. So, first of all, there's people out there that are saying, oh, it's a, you know, we got rid of the old – uh overtime rules to to finish games quicker and now we've got this well listen this was still a quicker game i mean each overtime was two plays so it was quick it just didn't look like it but i i sat through the whole thing and i thought it would outside of the fact that we were watching two offenses who just wanted to crawl into holes and die rather than find the end zone it was a lot of fun i loved it i loved the format um and i i mean hopefully we can see more of it uh, I think the first two overtimes being 
normal was still healthy, but with those offenses, honestly, in that format, it would have been field goals forever. Well, my, so my favorite awesome. part about the game is the big 10 spin on the nine overtime game and that it went nine overtimes and still went under the point total, which I thought was just hysterical. Um, no Penn state goes down. I didn't watch the game. Uh, I was, I was out. I've seen the highlights obviously, but, um, that has huge implications for the big 10 East, which if you listened to game day and the bear, this was a three team race for the big 10 East and Michigan state was not one of those teams. Uh, it was Penn state. It was Ohio state and it was Michigan that were a cut above as, as was quoted, but you know, at the end of the day, Penn State now has two Big Ten losses, and they're playing Ohio State next week. I think most people would expect that to be another one. I think you can kind of count, unless they pull the miracle next week and beat Ohio State, I think Penn State's kind of out of this, right? So that leaves Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State as a kind of three-team race here down the stretch. All three of them are undefeated in conference play. Obviously, all three of them will play each other. Michigan, Michigan State coming up here this week. And then uh, the Michigan, Ohio State and the Michigan State, Ohio State games will be the last two weeks of the season, right? So um, it's going to be a while before we really know how this thing shakes out. I can pretty firmly say that I think Ohio State's going to end up doing Ohio State things and running away with the Big Ten East, but uh, crazier things have happened. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how that, I mean, does this really do much for you as far as, you know, where Michigan state stands in the big 10 East, as far as maybe our ability to beat Penn state later in the year, a game that a lot of people kind of were chalking up as a loss for a while now. I mean, shoot, if, if Illinois can go into happy Valley and beat them. Yeah, it's uh it's interesting. I mean, Penn state, you've been kind of seeing chinks in their armor um, as we move down, obviously the loss to Iowa was the, first um but yeah i mean it's illinois put a lot on tape uh for for the rest of the big 10 playing penn state i mean a team like illinois i mean just last week brett bielman was essentially saying i don't have an offensive line like i didn't recruit these guys i don't want these guys these guys stink um and everyone was like oh this is how you lose a locker room watch illinois fall off the face of the earth now and then they come out and they they beat a top 10 team on the road while running for like Um, 300 nobody expected them to get (laughs) Right. I saw, I saw a meme. It was, it was a, a Photoshop of the Illinois offense, right. And they had their, their quarterback and it was a single back set. And then the rest of the field was just one <laughs> long string of, I don't know, there's probably 25 offensive linemen just lined up. Cause that's all they did. They, they literally, they were, they only had like maybe three eligible receivers a play because everyone was just up on the line, big bodies run the ball and Penn state couldn't do anything. So, I mean, if an offensive line like Illinois can, can put Penn state on their heels like that and run the ball down their throat with nobody as talented as Kenneth Walker. I mean, I I still don't love our chances. I think it's still going to be a tough game, but certainly it's more confidence than I had two, three weeks ago. Um, And, but what it really does for me is this weekend, as we look at the Michigan, Michigan state game, you mentioned both those teams will be playing Ohio state down the stretch in the last couple of weeks. Winner of this game this weekend is the clear cut number two horse in the race. You win this game. It's okay. Can the winner of this game beat Ohio state? That becomes the conversation down the stretch. Penn state's out. The loser of this game doesn't control their own destiny anymore. So can the winner of this game 
take down Ohio State. That's going to be the conversation. That's what we're playing for. We're playing to be the potential Cinderella in the con- in the division, right? And and we've seen that Ohio State's beatable. They certainly look better than a team that the than the team we saw lose to Oregon, but uh, they've lost a the game. And um, anything can happen. We saw the 2015 team led by Tyler O'Connor and uh, Damian Terry take down the Buckeyes in the shoe. So I think that's that's kind of a nice way to set up uh, this this coming game this weekend is, you know, the winner. They have their shot here and they become contrary to what Bear says. They become the the potential upset creator of the entire conference. Um, And it just makes it that much more exciting. Yeah, Ohio State's last four games, it was 59 to 7, it was 52 to 13, 66 to 17, and 54 to 7 on Saturday against Indiana on the road. Um, it, it certainly appears to be one of those kind of warpath Ohio State situations. But like you said, man, if, if TOC and Damian Terry can get it done, you never know what can happen. But um, no, I, th- I think at the end of the day, and we were kind of just touching on this before we start recording, like, even if you don't think the path to us winning the big 10 is, is realistic, right? If you're like, okay, you know, it's, it's a great year, but Ohio state's Ohio state. We're not going to win the East. That's fine. Because in, even if we finish second, which I still think is, is kind of best case scenario, realistically speaking, that is enormous for Mel Tucker in the second year. We all know the, the difficult circumstances that he walked into to in his second year, finish second in what is arguably the best division in college football in front of Jim Harbaugh, who has been there at, at Michigan for six, seven years in front of James Franklin, who's been at Penn state for six, seven years and is being considered for the LSU job, the USC job. Um, in front of Tom Allen in Indiana, who were, you know, kind of that's that sneaky team this year who had a great year last year. And the, the, we're on the upward trend in front of Greg Schiano, um, in front of all these guys where I think that's, that's still huge for recruiting for, you know, boosters being willing to, to spend more money to, get a, a better coaching staff in there to get better facilities, whatever it takes to, to give Mel Tucker what he needs, because that vision that he's laid out over the last two years of, of, you know, you kind of touched on this last year, how we can win at Michigan state. Um, that vision is coming true through two years. So you, you kind of start to, to get that feeling where he's going to get whatever he wants uh, and rightfully so. So yeah, even if, even if this season comes out and, and we don't win the big 10, it's still a success either way. Um, but we're only seven weeks through the year, as far as Michigan state's concerned. So, you know, we had a lot of football left to play here and, and maybe we're getting a little too far ahead of ourselves, but that's why we're fans. We're not in the locker room. We're not in the, uh, we're not in the coaching meetings. We're allowed to get in front of ourselves because, uh, it doesn't affect the team in any way. So um, yeah, any, any other results from the weekend? I know Oklahoma was in a tough battle with Kansas on the road, which, you know, was just objectively hilarious for a while. Um, Oregon sneaked out a win on the road is, are they going to jump us in the AP? That's kind of a conversation. Pat Narduzzi, the fighting Narduzzi's taking down Clemson. They're looking at like a driver's seat in the ACC over there. Um, a lot of interesting results in college football this weekend. You had the basketball score, Wake Forest taking down 
Army, 70 to 56, both teams clearing the over under in that game alone. Um, 70 points by Wake Forest with less than 17 minutes of possession. Insane. I love them. They're so fun. Um, I'm sure they're sitting there thinking, imagine what this team would be if, if Kenneth Walker was still around. Um, but we're happy to have him up here in East Lansing. Um, potentially the game of the week that's already getting overlooked, Appalachian State taking down Coastal on Wednesday night. Got to love a good Wednesday matchup. I, I was watching that. I know a lot of our buddies were. The group um, chat that was, was in awesome. on that one. I mean, it stinks for the group of five. Obviously, Coastal going down, um, having a loss. Cincinnati's now the only hope. Cincinnati struggled against a bad Navy team. Um, they won, but by one touchdown and it was it was close throughout um yeah it was an exciting weekend it was a fun weekend um Miami got the late win over NC State that'll help our resume a little bit probably not the most exciting or watched game of the week but uh always happy when a team you already beat gets a good one uh under their belt Manny Diaz saving his ass one game at a time um and Purdue coming off the big win win against Iowa lays an absolute egg at home against Wisconsin, uh, the Big Ten West continues to eat itself alive as it usually does. Jeffrey the Greek uh, from Eyes on Big, he had a great comparison for Purdue in this one because, you know, they had the huge win last week. They sneak into the AP poll for the first time in a while at number 25. And he's like, Purdue did the, uh, you know, the, the gif with Grandpa Simpson where he walks into the bar he takes off his hat, puts it on the cat hat thing, and then just turns around, puts his hat back on, and walks right back out of the bar in like three seconds time. Yeah, that was like Purdue's time in the AP poll uh, being ranked. But, you know, again, that's that's still a tough team. I, I think that's definitely not one to be overlooked. I think like maybe Wisconsin's kind of finding their Wisconsin-ness again. They're, they're able to run the ball. They're great defense. Um, so they're they're one of those teams now that, you know, if they start catching their groove, their toughest games are ahead of them, and, and maybe they can get back into that Big Ten West race. But, yeah, crazy weekend of college football. Uh, if you weren't in on the action, uh, now is still a great time. we got plenty of season left. And if you're an NFL fan, uh, DraftKings has a special deal for you. All you got to do is bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game. And if you do, you win $200 in free bets. Uh, by this time, it's too late. The game hasn't started yet, but uh, you missed out on the Rams beating the Lions, which is inevitable. I told you that last week. Uh, if you didn't get on that last week, though, I'm sure there's a couple of blowouts in store for us this week. And if you don't have the DraftKings Sportsbook available in your state yet, you can still play for huge cash prizes all year long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN for the Pigskin Podcast Network, of which we are a very proud supporter and uh, member. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and win $200 in free bets if they win. Uh, you win with promo code TPPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Um, 
not not my best terms and conditions performance there, but I, you know, I think we're we're rolling right along. Uh, let's get to it. Um, so, like I said, I'm going to set the stage here for us. We have some superlatives, some Michigan, Michigan State superlatives, some of the best performances, some of the uh, individual team performances, swing games, and the rivalry. Um, that that Scott will kind of set the stage for. But before we get to those, I, I just kind of wanted to go back in the history books, right? I love the history of college football because it's so weird and wacky and there are some weird results. There are some weird traditions. There are some weird rivalries. And uh, I love digging into this stuff. I, I was going back and reading through a bunch of these old games and just wanted to kind of go through some of my favorite moments that unfortunately we weren't alive for and Scott if you have any to add feel free Uh, but just to kind of set it up I mean the first game between these two was back in 1898 of course we were known at the time as the Michigan Agricultural College Aggies the Paul Bunyan trophy was introduced in 1953 Uh, the the coach at the time for Michigan Chrysler he didn't really recognize it as a trophy for whatever reason. He was just like, nah, I don't want any part of this. Um, and, and then it, it kind of became, it caught, a, caught steam over the next couple of years. And then there was a year in, in 1958. So Michigan State, they, they were defending champions. They came into the game with Paul Bunyan. They ended up with a tie in that game. And because Michigan State was so embarrassed, they, they should have won the game. They were, they were heavily favored going into the game. They didn't want the trophy. They're like, no, 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 we, we don't deserve this. We don't want it. And basically, it just like the trophy just sat in the middle of the field for like a half hour after the game, and nobody wanted it because Michigan was like, well, we definitely don't want it because we didn't win the game. Michigan State was like, well, we don't want it because we feel like we don't deserve it. And eventually, you know, somebody from the Michigan State staff just came and scooped it up and was like, all right, we'll, we'll put it in the building. We'll keep it around, but we don't feel good about it. Um, but this game has been played every year since 1910, besides the World War II years, uh, 1943 and 1944, uh, the game wasn't played. But other than that, now you're, you see this, the, the final records, the, the, to- the overall record. You know, Michigan is leading the series 71 to 37 there have been five ties but it is worth noting that since world war ii it is only a 42 to 31 split Uh, it's been a lot more even and 44 of the first 50 games of this rivalry were played in ann arbor you know it's always funny scott you shared a graphic with us the other day about some of the wins that michigan has racked up in their most winningest college football program of all time and you got like 25 wins against high schools. You got like uh, 20 wins against teams that don't even have a football program anymore. Uh, There was a a Canadian team on there. Like, um, but this was kind of one of those cases, right? This is where people get upset because Michigan fans live on this most winning is where it's like, okay, you played 44 of the first 50 of this rivalry game in Ann Arbor, um, which, you know, obviously gives a little advantage there. Uh, but some of the games, so I, I want to just hit a couple of these and then we'll get to more of the modern stuff. So 1913, there was uh, Michigan Agricultural College, uh, MSU later known as, got their first win of this series. And in what became like, a, um, I guess, a tradition maybe for Michigan State fans, a bunch of them were arrested after the game for throwing bottles in the streets. 
which later developed into burning couches. I guess we can credit our roots back to that 1913 win. Uh, 1915, just a couple years later, Michigan State goes on. They dominate the game. And I wanted to read this. Scott, I know you, you found this as well in the research. So this was a 24 to nothing win. And the Detroit Free Press writer E.A. Bachelor, which is an awesome name. There's a T in there, but uh, I, I guess it would still be pronounced Bachelor. He summed up the game as such. So this is a quote from the newspaper in the Detroit Free Press the next day. 24 to nothing sounds like a horrible beating, but it doesn't even begin to express how completely the MAC team outplayed and outfought Michigan's. It wasn't merely a defeat for the Maize and Blue, but a massacre, a rout, an annihilation. Michigan was beaten in everything, in music, cheering, fighting, and playing football. The Aggies just naturally outclassed their, fo- their foemen so bad that the Maize and Blue crowd could find no single straw at which to clutch as it drowned in a sea of tears. That is just that is writing at its finest in that 1915 defeat i i loved reading through that um a couple other ones that i wanted to note here 1934 michigan came into the game on a 22 game win streak uh michigan state ended up winning that game they snapped the unbeaten streak and then after the game uh in another michigan versus michigan state fans battle so this game was played in ann arbor and Michigan State fans ran onto the field and they tried to take down the goalposts. And then Michigan fans ran onto the field to defend the goalposts. And there was like a 30 minute riot happening on the field. And, you know, police had to be called to drag them off. And it, it was just like, I imagining these scenes from back in, you know, imagine this happening now where, you know, Michigan State comes in as an underdog, they beat Michigan in Ann Arbor. And Spartan fans are down on the field trying to take the goalposts. Michigan fans are down on the field trying to defend the goalposts. It, it's just, I, I love college football so much. Uh, this, this kind of stuff doesn't happen anywhere else. Um, other than that, I just wrote down 1956. You know, there was a lot of talk going into this game, and there will be that both teams will be in the top 10. Uh, one team, even maybe two, could be in the top five, I guess, depending on how the AP poll plays out. But 1956 to this day is the highest combined ranking in this game. Michigan State came into the game number two. Michigan came into the game number five. Both teams in the top five combining for uh, uh, seven, I guess, if you added them together, which is the highest combined. Michigan State won that game nine to zero. So I, I guess other than that, we'll kind of get into the modern area of all of this. But Scott, was there anything else that I know you were doing some research as well? Anything else that you kind of stumbled across? So fun little little things here. Um, you mentioned the 1913 game, first ever victory for our Aggies. Uh, I guess we're Aggies at heart, right? So trivia question here. Um, a lot obviously has been made of the fact that Michigan State was uh, was not the school it is now in the early days of this rivalry, right? And, and a lot of people use 1950 for various reasons as kind of the start of the modern rivalry, first and foremost, because that's when Michigan State joined the Big Ten at the time Michigan State College. They had moved on from their Aggie roots, and they were now the Michigan State College. I think they were the Spartans by now. Uh, yeah, because Spartan Stadium founded in 1923 so they've been the Spartans for a while but back in 1913 when John Macklin's Aggies took down the Wolverines 
Uh, no clue if they were the Wolverines at the time. Um, what do you think the total student enrollment of Michigan Agricultural College was when we first took down the Wolverines? Ooh, um, okay, so so nowadays we're usually hovering around what 50, 55,000, give I or think take. It's- if you add grad students, we're at like 60 to 70,000 students. Okay. At that time, I would imagine still probably one of the bigger colleges in the state, but an agricultural college. And I guess at that time, you know, nobody was going into like advertising and, you know, all of the degrees that we have now supply chain management right right (laughs) um i'll go with i'll go with an even 2000 all right not bad there were 1647 registered (laughs) students in the 1913-14 school year at michigan agricultural college unfortunately i couldn't find that's like nowadays, like Adrian and Hope are probably hanging right around there. Yeah, I don't, I mean, they might even be bigger, but um, yeah, probably a good comparison. I couldn't find the records back that far for University of Michigan. They were only back to like the 60s on what I could dig up. I wanted to compare them um, because that's what we do in rivalries, but uh, couldn't quite get the data for it. But in any case, the MAC Aggies, 1,647 students strong, first took down the Michigan Wolverines in 1913. 1913-14, um, we lost 3 nothing, which is really too bad. Almost could have three straight wins, but uh, brutal loss. And then you mentioned the 24 nothing victory in 1915. And then it went dark for a little while. You mentioned, I think, the 34 game. We won four straight, actually, uh, in 34 through 37 under Charlie Bachman went dark again until we joined the big 10 and you mentioned uh chrysler didn't really like the idea of a trophy i can't imagine why because in 1953 when we decided to i don't know who um whittled is is it whittling is it is it sculpting wood right i don't know but who when we decided to create paul bunyan in his current form we had won four straight games so we joined the big 10 in 1950 much to michigan's dismay right? A lot has been made. And I'm sure the article, somebody did a great write-up like five or five to 10 years ago on all the different ways the University of Michigan tried to shut down MSU, tried to change, hold them from becoming a university, from joining the Big Ten, et cetera, et cetera. So we finally get into the Big Ten in 1950. Michigan State College joins the conference. And then we win four straight against Michigan. And then we say, hey, you know what? Let's make a trophy. So we're feeling great. Fritz Chrysler can't buy himself a win in the rivalry. And we're like, here, we got this cool statue. What do you guys think? He's like, no, no, we're not doing this. And we're like, no, we're going to do it. And so coincidentally, they end up winning the Paul Bunyan trophy in 54 and 55. And then we go on another streak uh, right into the golden era. I would say the first golden era of Michigan state football. I mean, the 1950s, and the 60s, both these teams were really good. Obviously, a lot of claimed national titles back then for both schools. Um, really, the national conversation, more years than not, went through at least one of these schools back in those days. Um, so the first couple decades in the Big Ten were really good to us. And then really where I think 
the little brother sentiment probably picked up is the 1970s and 80s, which were just and the 90s, which were really a tough time to be a Michigan State Spartans fan. I think that attitude kind of lingers uh, a little bit uh, as we really I mean, you look at the the rivalry specifically and the record in this rivalry, it really didn't pick up until Mark D'Antonio. And I think that's why, you know, he's such a special coach to, to Spartans fans is even, I mean, you and I were both born in, you know, the mid nineties, but even folks who, who did live through those long decades. I mean, he really, there were times when we kind of got ourselves up, got on our feet in this rivalry, but he really was the first one to ever since this sixties, early sixties, to really time to start the clock on this one yeah and uh, the the audio cut out for me for a second there so hopefully it didn't for the people uh but either way uh no it's 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 really like you said you know we were both we're both 90s kids and for me growing up in a michigan state house both of my parents went to michigan state my older brother ended up going to michigan state i was he was three years older than me and I basically lived my childhood in Metro Detroit in a school where I was, you know, one of not very many Michigan State fans. And I'm sure a lot of people listening kind of can share that sentiment. If you were a Michigan State fan growing up that week going into the game where you you're wearing your MSU jersey and you're one of two or three kids in your whole class that are wearing green on that Friday and the rest of the school is all in blue and in, in maize and blue. And, you know, and it was so frustrating. I remember because we were just, we would lose almost every game. And there was, there was the couple games there where 2004, we thought we had them and goes into triple overtime and Braylon Edwards. And then the following year we're we're the higher ranked team and we get into overtime and we lose that one. And it just felt like we couldn't buy a win in this rivalry. Mark D'Antonio comes in, everything changes. And so, yeah, for me, you know, we, we've talked about this before on the podcast and just in general terms with Mark D'Antonio, where like, I hope people don't really hold the ending against him too much because of how much he meant to some of the people at Michigan state. And that, that includes me for sure, because what he did for my, young adults late child life in terms of being able to proudly wear a Michigan state Jersey going into that Friday, you know, at work later on in life or, you know, at school earlier on in that rivalry, you know, going into the Friday, wearing my Michigan state Jersey and looking around and being like, yeah, you know what? We're going to beat your ass on Saturday and actually feeling good about it instead of that previous run where it was just kind of like, I'm wearing my Michigan state Jersey, but kind of sheepishly in the back corner, like, yeah, go green. But like, you know, let's just not talk about it. Uh, it, it kind of became like a, a sense of pride of wearing my green around Metro Detroit being like, yeah, we're the baddest dudes on the block right now. And there's nothing you guys can do about it. And, and there was just, there is, there was something really special to that. And, and it continues to this day, obviously where, you know, we, we've, things have been made and written about how there are, there were, there was a whole generation of kids like me who grew up with Michigan dominating this rivalry year in, year out. And then suddenly it changed. And there was a whole generation of kids 
who became later on high school recruits, who all they knew was Michigan State dominating the rivalry and going to school in a, in a Michigan State hoodie because Michigan State was cool. They were the cool to, team at the time. They were the baddest dudes on the block. They were the one dominating the rivalry. And that change was so huge. And we'll, we'll get to this you know, more later on. But just not only being able to win a couple games and make it more competitive, but to dominate the rivalry for a stretch of time and just change a whole generation of what were middle school kids that became high school recruits and just change the whole mindset of young people in the state of Michigan and saying like, you know what? Michigan state's cool. Michigan state's good. Like I'm going to think about going there. I want to go play for Michigan state. Like my dream is to play at Spartan stadium. Like, that was never a thing when I was a kid. Michigan State was you would love it if your parents went there, and that was about it. And then suddenly it became cool, and and we credit Mark D'Antonio for that for sure. Yeah, now look where we are. So the rivalry, obviously, the last six, three for three, three and three. Um, it did feel for a little bit like Michigan is springboarding back to the top of the rivalry, but MSU in 15 and 17 and most no, recently last year, um, beat a lot of national expectations. I wouldn't say one unexpected games. I mean, 2015, we were higher ranked going into the game. 2017 was a surprise, uh, at the time. And last year at the time was a surprise, but looking back, we were talking about this before 20. we started recording, like both teams stunk last year. So yeah, we somebody were had to win the game 21 and a half point underdogs going into that one. I, I made, uh, because I put money down on Michigan state's money line. I remember, it was something like a 10 to one ticket. I mean, I, I put down a $10 bet, won a hundred bucks. I paid for basically the rest of my year of sports betting with that one win. <laughs> it was just, that was how lopsided it felt going into that. Cause it, like you said, it turned out that both teams kind of sucked, but at the time it was Michigan coming off of that win at Minnesota. They were looked so good and Michigan state coming off of the Rutgers loss and they looked so bad. And it was, it was going to be a bloodbath. And well, you know, we know what happens. So, so um, we're going to get into some of these superlatives here, I think, because it's it. If you're upset that we haven't touched on a lot of the recent games, we'll get to a lot of the fun ones in these superlatives. So let's save it for that. So we'll bounce around a little bit between you know the late '90s, early thousands, and more recently to D'Antonio and Tucker eras. But let's just start tossing these around. I'd be surprised if we didn't have the same one on the first one. So let's start with the best individual offensive performance for you. Yeah. So there, there are quite a few um, that I, that I considered for this. I'm actually probably going to go a different route than, than you might think. And it, I think it's just because this game in general is a little bit more special to me. And it, it was an almost equally dominant performance. So I thought about Ricky white for this one last year, obviously had just an unbelievable game. Who knows? Maybe that was just the one shooting star performance of his career that, that we won't get back, but I'm going to go back to 2008. And that was, you know, you just, that was the first win of Mark D'Antonio. That was coming off of the little brother comments. That was the, Pride comes before the fall and Javon ringer went into that, that game, uh, in Ann Arbor 
and ran 37 times for 194 yards and two touchdowns. There was only one other running back who took a carry in that game. It was Mark D'Antonio saying, I got the baddest dude on the field and I'm going to give him the ball 37 times and we're going to come in and win this game. We ended up winning 35 to 21 in that one. Javon Ringer again, 37 for 194 and two touchdowns. Just absolute workhorse game, absolute rivalry-defining moment, rivalry-defining game. I actually thought about Blair White in this game, too, who had that 61-yard touchdown, had four catches for 143 yards in that game as well. But, yeah, just Javon Ringer putting the whole team on his back and, and just saying, hey, follow me. We're going out, and we're getting this thing done for our coach. All right, so there you have it. Not the same result uh, I also didn't go with Ricky White I did I did think about it but I think that's a little too fresh for me to really know where it lands in the all-time performances um, and with hindsight knowing Michigan wasn't that good um, it's it's a little easier for me to say well he didn't do it against a great team right the great individual performances you want it to come against like top tier competition so uh, a lot of Spartan fans will know where I'm headed with this 1999. Tom Brady's senior year at Michigan, um, two years removed from Michigan's shared national championship, um, the Plaxico Burris game. Some box scores say 252 yards. Some box scores say 255 yards. In any case, 250 plus yards broke the Michigan State single game record for receiving yards, broke his own personal record in a game by 100 yards. Um, And the reason I picked this one is because To this day, I don't think I've seen one single player who matched up so well against the other team. I mean, when you watch the highlights for this game, or if you were lucky enough to see this game live, there was not a soul in the state of Michigan that could have walked out onto that field and covered Plaxico Burris that game. They were putting two guys on him. They were putting, it it was like a Kelvin Johnson vintage performance where all Burke had to do was basically throw the ball with his eyes closed between the two sidelines down the field. And Plaxico Burris was going to find his way under the ball. He was going to shove a couple guys off his shoulders and bring it down. So dominant. They came out with the win. It was a top 11 matchup. Michigan was number three at the time. Michigan state was number 11 and, uh, and it was in East Lansing in front of a friendly home crowd. So they ended up winning the game 34, 31. They needed every yard that Plaxico provided phenomenal game and uh and potentially still one of the best um offensive individual performances not just in this rivalry but in msu history i mean there's there's quite a few up there but that one's got to be mentioned with the greats yeah you talk about a dude being in the zone that's just one where the lights come on and you just can't do anything wrong for a game And, and you know we talk about it a lot with like basketball players who just they hit every three, they hit every shot. Those, those tough layups where you contact and you just kind of throw it up at the hoop and it goes in. And and that was kind of, it felt like Plexico on that day. Like you said, you know, you go back and watch the highlights and it was just every 50, 50 ball was his every time you thought like, ah, well, it was, it wasn't the, it wasn't the best throw. He found a way to come down with it. One hand, two hands sideline. It, it didn't really matter. Two guys on him didn't matter everything was coming down his way and just unbelievable performance by, by Plexico in that one, for sure. Yeah. So let's flip the script here. Go to the defense, Kevin. I'll let you start this one off too. Yeah. Defensively. 
so this this comes to I I have to say one name just because of the rules of this uh, of this exercise. I'm just gonna I want to give it to the Michigan State front seven in 2013. We know it kind of famously as the the negative 48 rushing yards game. Uh, so I I would collectively give this to the front seven of Michigan State and that one who just absolutely made a complete mockery of Devin Gardner and Fitz Toussaint uh, and the Michigan offense who just every time they snapped the ball in a half a second, there were three guys in the backfield. It wasn't one, it was three. And that was the whole theme of that game where you go back and you watch it and it's just every tackle was a gang tackle with two, three, four Michigan state defenders, every sack, there, there wasn't just one guy getting through. It was two guys sandwiching Gardner. It was, it was a tabletop. One guy's going low. One guy's going high. It was just an absolute obliterating. There were what two, two different occurrences in that game where they had fourth and 30 plus or something like that. I mean, it was just outrageous. If I have to give it to one individual player, It'll be Danico Salen, who finished with two sacks, three tackles for loss, and nine tackles. But Shalik Calhoun had two and a half sacks. Ed Davis had two and a half sacks. Uh, Darquez Denard had that interception and a forced fumble in that game. I, If you're going to make me give it to one guy, I'll say Danico Salen. But at the end of the day, it's just it's the whole MSU defense from that game, uh, specifically, I guess, the front seven. But man, that was, that was fun to watch that there was, did you see the, the thing going around? Uh, I don't remember which Twitter account put it up. It was like, who would win this matchup 2020 Michigan or 2021 Michigan state offense or 2013 defense. And I was very proud of Twitter in that moment because you read through the comments and, and everybody just blanketly accepted like, no, 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 no. Let's let's stop being prisoners of the moment here. That 2013 defense might shut us out. They were like, there were people commenting about it and it it was so true where that was a defense where you were excited to turn on the TV and watch a defense. You were excited to go sit in the stands and watch a defense. Like when we punted the ball away, it was like, all right, here we go. Like, and then when the other team, you know, when, when we were on offense, that was the time to go to the bathroom. That was the time to go get another beer. When we were on defense, you were locked in and watching. That that whole year was so fun, but that game, oh my goodness. Yeah, that was I, I wanted when I when I came across this uh superlative, I was like, you know, there's gotta be somebody in there that sticks out. But you watch those games and it was like you said, the entire defense and um even the secondary would pitch in and obviously that those kinds of games don't happen if, if receivers are getting open too. But um, I went with one that actually surprised me and a little bit of recency bias perhaps, but a guy who in comparison to the rest of his time at Michigan state, I think this was by far his, the best game of his career. And he had a pretty good career, but David Dowell in the 2017 game, the rain game, if you remember. So a lot of people remember John O'Corn's three straight interceptions and John O'Corn's antics, throwing himself around, flopping around on the sidelines and um, everything about that game. Obviously the excuses that have been made since then about the fact that the rain came and apparently it only rained on Michigan's team. Um, but all that aside, David Dowell 
Um, he had two of those three picks. So he had two interceptions. He knocked down another pass. He had a fumble recovery. He had seven tackles from a free safety position. And, you know, I've, I've watched this game a few different times because those 2017 to 2019 MSU defenses, they had a run in there that honestly with a better offense would have measured up to the 2013 to 2015 defenses that we had. And even earlier, the early D'Antonio defenses, unfortunately they didn't really have the offense to get their kind of names written in stone as, as frequently, but but that game specifically on that day, David Dowell owned John O'Corn and the rest of that University of Michigan offense. It was such a fun performance to watch. It felt like every time the ball went in the air, he was sitting under it, um, waiting to make a play. And uh, yeah, I think that was the game of his career. I don't think we win that game without the plays that he made. Um, we had our backs against the wall. I actually was looking it up. Um, this week because someone had had called that game a last second win for Michigan State to try to discredit it. Yeah. Michigan State's offense scored their final points of that game with over eight minutes left in the second quarter and the defense just held on the rest of the game and that wasn't Michigan's best offense ever but uh, it was in the big house and Michigan probably had over 10 possessions after we scored that touchdown and had a four-point lead um, and we held on. So David Dowell was the centerpiece of that game. It always sticks out in my mind when I think of great defensive performances and maybe one that doesn't get as much credit as, as some of the bigger games in the history books. Well, because Scott, you have to remember that it was a, it was a fluky game. It was raining. We can, you, you, you have to eliminate when, when a football game is played in the rain, we have to just we have to eliminate that result. It, it doesn't count. It, you have well, to in the University that. of Michigan, they didn't, they didn't have a quarterback at the time. So you can't count that either because it only counts if they have a quarterback. Of course. Um, yeah. Even though they have a QB whisperer at, at head coach, they have to have a quarterback for any of it to matter. Right. And for, um, for a 14 team conference that has exclusively outdoor stadiums in the Midwest, we have to account for the weather and saying that only games that are sunny uh, really are, are meaningful. So yeah, uh, unfortunately, of, great, great game by David Dowell, but we just can't really put it down in the official record books has to be written with an asterisk. We, we all know that. <laughs> Speaking of the weather, um, we'll get into this in the preview later this week, but I've been tracking the weather for East Lansing this weekend. Early reports look like low to mid fifties and it was gonna, it was looking pretty clear, uh, mostly cloudy. We got a hint of a uh, hint of rain early in the day now. So, um, so maybe this one won't maybe, count either. <laughs> yeah. We got about a 40% chance of excuses uh, as, as we're looking at the forecast. Oh, right no, now. no, no, so no, Scott, there's a hundred percent chance of excuses. It's just a matter of what the reason's going to be. <laughs> All right. Well, let's keep moving here. Um, we'll, we're going to bounce around a little bit. I'm going to go, before we go to the most satisfying win, I want to sprinkle in maybe a little bit to balance the scales here the worst loss. What, which loss stands out in your mind? You mentioned it's, it was tough growing up as a Michigan state fan. So which one do you just really wish we could have another shot at the fourth quarter or just change a couple things? We thought we had it, which, which one hurt the most for you? It's not even a contest. This is, this is, there's no question whatsoever. This is 2004. Um, <sighs> So Michigan comes into this game ranked number 12. Michigan State comes in unranked as, as happened many times. 
Uh, Michigan was, I believe, eight and one at the time. We were about a 500 football team. And when you go back and look at the stats, I mean, we borderline outplayed them uh, by just running the ball down their throat. DeAndre Cobb had over 200 yards and two touchdowns. Drew Stanton chipped in 80 yards on the ground. Jason Teague had over 50 yards and a touchdown on the ground. Uh, we only threw the ball for, for just over 150 yards. Um, Drew Stanton and Damon Dowdell got some time. Drew Stanton was banged up and brought the game into overtime uh, based on it was uh, we were up 27 to 10 in the fourth quarter, Scott, 27 to 10 in the fourth quarter. Uh, Michigan gets a field goal and then two touchdowns from Braylon Edwards with less than six minutes left goes into overtime trade field goals in the first overtime second overtime trade touchdowns. It was Jason Teague and Jason Avant third overtime. It was a 24 yard touchdown from Braylon Edwards uh, and Chad Henney that ultimately uh, they got the two point conversion, but didn't really need it because Michigan state didn't score a touchdown on their possession and ice the game Braylon Edwards three touchdowns in that game after the six and a half minute mark in the fourth quarter and and ices it in triple overtime and my 10 year old heart was broken into a hundred million little pieces this is one of those games where for the wrong reasons I remember exactly where I was I remember exactly what I was doing I remember exactly who I was with this is one of the most vivid memories of my childhood. And maybe it's something I need to talk to a therapist about because it was a really depressing <laughs> one to have as a vivid childhood memory. So yeah, that, that 2004 game, that was a tough one. All right. Well, I won't make you do that exercise anymore. 2004 was my answer as well. I'm going to throw in 2007 as an honorable mention. Another one where we had fourth quarter lead D'Antonio's first year. Uh, we were up by 10, 24 to 14. We got a touchdown with just under eight minutes left in the game. And uh, of course that led to two straight touchdowns by the university of Michigan and, and Mike Hart's infamous comments after the game, which ended up turning the rivalry on its head. So I wanted to throw that one in there. I know that one hurt as well, but. Um, and that was one too, to... if, if we asked a uh, friend of the program, Greg Jones, who was on, I know he still has some strong feelings about that game. If you go back and listen to the interview we did with Greg Jones, um, that was one he still feels very strongly about. So if, if you haven't go back and listen to it, I'm sure that would be his answer. So let's, let's balance the scales here. Most satisfying win. There's plenty to draw from over the last uh, 15 or so years. Um, and, and you mentioned a great one, a couple questions ago. Um, but in your mind, what, whether it was a big blowout or a close game where we pulled the rug out from under Michigan, which, which game did you come away? Just ah, feeling great. Yeah. The, the dynamics of the 2014 game against Michigan were that we, we were coming off of the win in 2013, where we just absolutely punked them. Right. We talked about the, the minus 48 rushing yards. They, didn't have an offensive touchdown. And at this time, Michigan comes into this game having not scored an offensive or any touchdown in the past two matchups combined. They, they won that 2012 game in just an ugly field goal fest. So they're coming off a loss. 
and they haven't scored a touchdown against us in over two years. And they have the audacity. And this is the ultimate. If, if you were asking somebody who has never been to the state of Michigan and you're trying to explain the rivalry and you're trying to explain why Michigan state people hate Michigan so much, this is the first thing I would probably point to because it, it culminates everything. Michigan's coming off of a loss against us where we spanked them up and down the field on offense, dominating the game on defense, just a complete and total annihilation. And they have the audacity the following year to come in, in the pregame into East Lansing, into our stadium and drive a stake into the turf on our logo. And that just set off this Michigan state team and especially Mark D'Antonio, who obviously did something that is, is not typically Mark D'Antonio fashion and running up the score late in that game, march down the field, score a touchdown with 28 seconds left. Uh, there was something out there that four of the previous six games ended with Michigan state taking a knee inside the Michigan red zone. So there were four previous occurrences of this with Mark D'Antonio where he had the opportunity to, but he never did it because he respects his opponents. He respects the rivalry. He expects, he respects the game of football. And he said, you know what? Nope. These are kind of one of those unwritten rules. If we can take the knee and end this thing, we're going to take the knee and end this thing, even though we're in the red zone going into score. And that 2014 game, obviously all of that was thrown out the window when they drove the stake into the field. We score. We ultimately win that game. Uh, I don't have the score in front of me, but it was a lot to a little. And uh, yeah, that, that one was one where you, like you said, you have that just feeling coming out of that game. I was riding a high for like three weeks coming out of that one. It, I was untouchable. Any other stress in my life that came up, any failed exam, any failed, you know, I, if, if I like broke up with a girlfriend at that time, I don't even remember it because of the high that I was on after just annihilating Michigan in that fashion. And especially with those uh, off the field circumstances that surrounded it. Yeah. So the final score in that one was 35 to 11. Um, awesome game. Awesome. We had the pleasure of being Michigan state students, undergrad living in East Lansing at the time, 2013 and 2014 were back-to-back home games, um, which they eventually balanced out um, in 2019 and 2020. But uh, I'm going to go with the year before you mentioned the 2013 game, huge defensive domination. Um, So 2008 to 2011, Mark D'Antonio really grabs this, uh, this rivalry by, by the balls and 2012, our first year. So we're, we're going through high school, Michigan state, win, 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 win four straight years. Right. We finally get to campus in 2012, my freshman year, I believe it was your freshman year. And we're excited. We're like, finally, you know, we're, we're students. We're on campus. It's an away game, but at least we're students. We're going to be here for a Michigan state win. Uh, Michigan was ranked 23. We were unranked, but we were still feeling good. And this game as a whole, just laid an egg final score in 2012 was 12 to 10 Michigan. Um, Brendan Gibbons kicked four field goals, including, I believe a game winner as time expired, um, 
it was just a brutal game. It was awful. It was one of those games where nobody had anything in the tank, nothing was happening, and we ended up losing. That 2012 season was full of games like that, where they were just close losses. You know, Mark D'Antonio in 2013, the Rose Bowl season, mentioned that the previous year they couldn't find the inches. And that's where his motto of you got to, you know, find the inches in 2013 came from because that season was so tough. So 2013, we come in and we're back-to-back rankings. Michigan's ranked 21. We're ranked 22. Um, Michigan's getting more press, more media. We're still feeling disrespected as we like to. And, uh, but we don't really know what to expect from the game. It looks like a good matchup. It's going to be in East Lansing. And, and you mentioned it earlier. We came out there and their offense would, could do nothing. Our defense won the game alone. I don't think our offense really needed to show up at all they could have just slept in and watched the game from home from the stands 29 to 6 win negative 48 rushing yards probably the most dominant um michigan state performance over michigan in our lifetime um and uh yeah it was just a pleasure to watch the reason i put it over 2014 is just because we were coming off that loss and we were so at the time we looked like evenly matched teams so to win that game so concretely it was my most satisfying win i will say honorable mentions 2015, obviously trouble with the snap, satisfying just because everybody, (laughs) including most Michigan State fans, or all of them, if we're being honest with ourselves, thought we had lost that game, and then we still ended up winning. That was the thing that that kept it off for me because that was the first one that I wrote down, and then I thought about, like, the thing was in 2014, basically from the opening kickoff, you could just sit back, feet kicked up, with a smile on your face, like, Oh, this is going to be good. 15 was, was just more of a struggle. It was stressful. And at the right up until that play, I, you know, I was ready to, to turn the TV off. I was, I was ready to go. One of our friends, I'll, I'll have to give him the, the, you know, I'll have to give him some slack here. Um, We've, we've talked about it in our group me many times, but I feel like now that we have like a, an audience and, and a few hundred people that are listening to this episode right now, uh, he needs to get public publicly ridiculed. Uh, our buddy, Sean left the game, uh, was at the game with his parents and, and left before the trouble with the snap was at one of those things where you can tell your kids, you can tell your grandkids, I was at that game. You see that one of the craziest finishes in the history of the sport. I was there. All of that went out the window because he left the game with about two minutes left. Uh, just, you hate to see it. You absolutely hate to see it. Um, and I had to put Sean on blast for that one. But no, that was, I mean, I, I had it written down because the thing is with that one too, is it still satisfying six years later where it gets shared? How many times do you see that clip on Twitter over the course of the year? I I mean, it's hundreds. It'll be a random like February 23rd, 2020. And that tweet came across the timeline. Like it, it just never dies. I think we might've lost our audio here. So bear with us folks, but um, while, while Scott's coming back on, I'm going to flip the script here and we're going to start talking about just, oh, we're back. I'm back. Okay. I think you're back. Okay. 
So sorry, folks, I, I have no signs of me losing the audio, except Kevin telling me that I'm not talking, but hopefully this is coming through 2015. Um, me and my fiance, then girlfriend, watched the game from home. Her parents were there with a couple of friends. They're Michigan fans. So they also left the game early, right? So they leave when it looks well in hand. And, uh, and we watch what happens from home on our television. We see it happen. And, and my girlfriend at the time, her phone rings. And it's, I think her mom or her dad, one of her parents is calling her. And, and they're like, hey, we, you know, we, we left, like, but we can hear screaming. Like they were like somewhere in Ann Arbor. <laughs> I don't know if they were within earshot of the stadium, but they're like, people are like running around in the streets. Like what's going on. And we told them, and I'm pretty sure somebody like almost passed out or dropped their phone in a sewer <laughs> or something. I mean, the shock was, was everything, but, uh, but yeah, 2015. And then last year was my other honorable mention, just because you mentioned the, the dynamics going into that one at the time looked like Michigan was a pretty good team. Everyone was sleeping on us, and uh, we know the rest from there. So all awesome, awesome games. Um, so speaking of satisfying, let's let's go to an interesting one. I'm curious what your favorite pendulum swinging game, rivalry swinging game was. So whether that's when D'Antonio took it over or, or another game that you remember, um, maybe you could even argue last year. Um, so favorite pendulum swing. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to make this quick because the, the narrative is kind of what I spelled out earlier where we grew up in a time where Michigan dominated the rivalry. And when Mark D'Antonio came in, it was hopefully he can just at least make this competitive, make it kind of a 50-50 split. So I would love to say the 2008 game where we came out and won the first one under D'Antonio as the first win in six or seven tries. Um but I, I think at that point, still, it's one game and it's one win. And then in 2009, we get the overtime win with Larry Caper. I was there. Uh, it, was, it was a fantastic finish, obviously. Uh, but at that point, still, right, you're, you're, you get one win and then you get an overtime win at home. And you might think like, all right, well, we got something going here, but let's see. And I think for me, the real swing was 2010, where Michigan State after coming off of back-to-back -back wins, but again, you're kind of looking around the circumstances of it all and saying, all right, well, you know, we'll see where we're at. And both of these teams were, were looking good going into the game. Michigan state was six and zero. Michigan was five and one, you know, this was supposed to be a big matchup. We were both ranked in the top 20 and Michigan state just came in and took their lunch. And it was all in the second quarter that we really did the damage Edwin Baker at a 61-yard touchdown. Le'Veon Bell at a 41-yard touchdown. Uh, both of those guys finished with over 75 yards and touchdowns on the ground. And we we outgained them. So we won the game 34-17. to 17. We outgained them 536-377. to 377. Uh, That was a Denard Robinson-led Michigan team. But it was just the one for me that really swung it in the direction of whoa, okay, like Michigan State's, they mean business in this rivalry. This isn't just, oh, it's cute. They'll come in, they'll win a couple and at least make this thing competitive. It was, we got to start paying attention to this rivalry a little bit more. As a Michigan fan, I'm sure that was kind of the sentiment of like, oh no. And uh, I think that was really the swing game as, as far as the next, you know, 10, 12 years and how it would all play out. 
So you mentioned uh, that we'd won back to back in 2008 and 2009. To put that in context, before 2009, the last time the Spartans had won two straight against Michigan was 1967. 1967, they had won uh, not even 10 games between 1967 and in 2008. And then in 2009, they went back to back. My swing is 2009 because it was their second straight. First time they'd done that in 40 years and watching that game. So Michigan state was winning in the fourth quarter, I think by two possessions and Michigan came back and tied it. And at this time, and I've mentioned this before on the podcast and it always comes up this week and I hate talking about it, but I was a Michigan fan until my senior year of high school. Uh, we all make mistakes as kids. I hope those, the listeners will give me a, a, a free pass here, a childhood pass. I came to my senses, but um, I was a Michigan fan and I was watching this game and Michigan state was winning. And I, I, I remember feeling like, Oh my God, Michigan state is, is the big dog on the block now. Like we've lost the rivalry and, and then Michigan came back. And I remember this cause I was watching it with a Michigan state fan and Michigan came back and I, I was laughing at him because he was kind of sitting there with a smug look on his face, like we're going to win again. And, and Michigan came back and I started laughing at him again. I was an awful Michigan fan at the time. And we, we, at the time, Michigan forced overtime and I was, they had all the momentum in the game. And you, at this point, you could literally, it felt like a tug of war between the two teams, not just in that game, but for the entire rivalry, you could feel all the bragging rights. You could feel the momentum for the next five to 10 years on the line in this game. And it was like, is Michigan just going to make last year another one of those one-off you happen to win one games or is Michigan state finally going to say, no, we're, we're tired of this. We're going to win. And, and Larry Caper of course had that breakthrough uh, run outside on the right side uh you know first throw it was first overtime first overtime yep and uh and claimed the rivalry and they won that was And I really have the when Michigan had lost their grip on on the rivalry on the state and and it was anyone's game now and, and Michigan State had the leg up. So, yeah, um, no that that was yeah that was one of my favorite games as far as you know we didn't have it written down here but of all the games that I went to uh, because I've been to a I don't know a, a large handful of these Michigan Michigan State games in person. Um, that was, that one was pretty special to be at, be at an overtime win, be at a, um, you know, a game that really set the tone for the rivalry moving forward. And a game that again, at that time in my life, I hadn't seen very many Michigan state wins. So, um, seeing one at Spartan stadium in the fashion that we did it, it was, it was really, really cool. And something I, I I'll take with me for a long time. Yeah, so that was actually my honorable mention for, I think, our last superlative here. We got a few, but we're running a little long, and and I'm going to pick my favorite here. So honorable mention, the Larry Caper run for the most memorable moment or play of the rivalry for you. We're going to cap the superlatives with this one. So the one moment, your favorite moment in MSU Michigan history. I 
I wanted to get cute and try to, you know, prove my Michigan state knowledge here and, and really dive deep into some, you know, deep cut it's trouble with the snap. I mean, the, there can't be any other answer for this question. It's trouble with the snap. It will always be trouble with the snap. And I, you just, it, it, there's nothing that has ever happened in watching sports in my entire life that has looked like that. There's nothing that I've ever experienced in sports that went from there is a 0% chance we're winning this game. We lost the game. It's over to, holy shit, we just won. I, there's never, you know, there's, there's great comebacks that, you know, Michigan State Northwestern, where we were down 35 to three or whatever, and Drew Stanton brought them back. Michigan State Northwestern basketball a couple of years ago. We were, but this was one moment. This was, what, eight seconds of time, in, in, of real life time went by and everything changed. And I, I just, I tried to think of some deep cut that I, it's trouble with the snap. It always will be. And yeah, that, that's, that's all I have to say. Yeah. There's other plays out there. You've got like the Stanford Cal uh, band is out on the field, right? Just junky lateral plays. You've got like the, uh, the kick six, where Auburn beat Alabama on the, on the missed field goal that came up short, but like, like band on the field, it was kind of junky. It was just like, you get enough lucky things strung together and there's a mess with the band and it's all kinds of different things. And in like the kick six, it's within the realm of possibilities, right? You know, it's a long field goal. They might get a return and they make a great play, but like, this was just, it was the perfect combination of a little bit of magic, call it luck if you want to, um, Michigan had to, we needed Michigan to make a big mistake and they did. We needed the ball to just fall into Spartan's hands. He needed to get to the end zone as time was expiring. It had to be in the big house at the exact time in the rivalry when it felt like Harbaugh's in town to take it back for Michigan and, uh, and restore order for those in Ann Arbor. And this play, just everything fell into place. It shattered Uh, that reality for Michigan fans. It said, no, Michigan State's not going back to the dark ages in this rivalry. We still want to win these games, and we're going to figure out how to. Um, The football gods had us in their favors that day. And uh, and yeah, like you said, it it lives on in memory. Honestly, I think to the day I die, I hope I can still recite that call in my head. (laughs) It's not just the words, it's it's every little inflection in the voice on the call, like every little detail, every camera angle, every face in the crowd, uh, every step that Jalen Watts Jackson took from the time he got the ball to the end zone. It's all right there. I hope it will stay there. Um, That is the greatest. I mean, maybe there was something way back in the day, but for, for somebody our age or close to it, I don't know how you could have anything else. Yeah. I I will give just a couple honorable mentions because again, no, nothing's going to compete with that one. Um, I guess you could say the one, if there was one that would compete with it, it would be Clockgate in 2001 where uh, it was, it was Jeff Smoker. He runs down that people forget. There was a play right before that led to this, where Michigan state was forced to take a timeout, even though Michigan had just gotten a penalty against it. So they shouldn't have had to use a timeout. It should have been an automatic stoppage of the clock. They took a timeout off the board for Michigan state. 
and they had to go down, spike it, and uh, a, a Michigan State legend forever, Spartan Bob, up in the timekeeper's booth, uh, gave us that second that we needed to to throw the touchdown to TJ Duckett and win that game. Um, there was a forced incomplete pass on Desmond Howard in 1990. There was a number one Michigan against unranked Michigan State. Uh, Michigan had a last-minute touchdown. They went for two to try to win the game. Incomplete pass by uh, to to Desmond Howard, and you know naturally there was a uh, there was an article and uh, thinking the Detroit News about how you know the the refs were out to get Michigan or something. And for anybody who grew up in in Metro Detroit, you won't really find anything surprising about uh, a quote like that from Metro Detroit uh, or Detroit media. Um, seeming to lean towards the Wolverine side. Um, other than that, I mean, obviously the Larry Caper touchdown in 2009 was a was a huge moment. There was uh, what else from from the memory bank here? The Connor Cook, uh, where he just bowled over that Michigan defender towards the goal line. He was um, right inside the five yard line and just laid the hammer down, dropping the shoulder into the guy. There was uh, the the play immediately following it, I think, was the Travis Jackson, the birth of the Travis Jackson yes chant. Both of those were in 2013. Um, there was, I, what else off the top of my head here? Obviously, last year, there was just the culmination of all the Ricky White catches, um, <laughs> which, was, which was awesome. Yeah, and... and I- I mean, there, there's little moments, right? I mean, last year you had a couple of Connor Hayward touchdowns that stick in my head, but his last year in 2017, you had the uh, Madre London and look out, he's got a convoy uh, screen pass touchdown, right? And the Brian Lewerke diving for the end zone, but they're all great moments. Don't get the me one wrong, I, but I mentioned it too briefly, weight. but that uh, 2008, the long Edwin Baker touchdown in the big house, there was a great picture of him shushing the crowd as he's going into the end zone. We can't forget about that one. Great moment. And that was kind of the one that blew it open for Michigan state. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, trouble with the snap, I'd be, I don't know how you could top it. I mean, college football and football in general, it'll always keep things in store that you never imagined you'd ever see, but Right now, I do not, I could not imagine a greater moment, greater ending, greater scenario than, than what we saw uh, in 2015. So uh, we'll leave it at that for, for historicals. Uh, we're going to get into the state of the rivalry and in this matchup uh, in our next episode later this week on Wednesday. Um, so Kevin, any parting words um, to kind of tee up rivalry week here as we get into it? Um, I mean, you know, it's just, it's an opportunity for these guys to, uh, for a lot of them to really start to put their stamp on this, on this rivalry, on this game. There's a lot said about how Kirk Cousins was undefeated against the University of Michigan. And then he was followed by Connor Cook, who went undefeated against the University of Michigan. This is Peyton Thorne's first shot at it as the quarterback. You're always going to get those kind of headlines and that kind of pressure and that kind of um, you know, credit for the wins and blame for the losses. And I think he knows that as the son of a coach, uh, Peyton Thorne, a lot of these guys, they're young players. Uh, and a lot of these guys like Jacob Panishuk, they're older players who have been in this rivalry time and time again, um, for the young guys, for, for those guys of players, it's, it's an opportunity to, to really set the tone for the next 
one, two, three years of the game. Uh, a lot of these guys are transfers. You know, we'll, we'll see how that plays into it. Do they understand the, the meaning of this rivalry? I'm sure Mel Tucker will, over the last two weeks, has been showing clips, has been doing highlight films, has been doing whatever he can to, to get these guys like Quaveris Crouch coming over from Tennessee, like Chaz Kimbrough coming over from Florida to, to really buy into this thing and, and to realize the importance of it. And I'm sure by now they all hate the maize and blue just as much as we do. And I'm, I'm really excited for that. So yeah, like you said, Wednesday, we'll, we'll break down the particulars of this week, but uh, yeah, we wanted to have some fun and just kind of roll down memory lane for a little bit here uh, to start the week off, to start off Michigan week, hate week, whatever you want to call it. It's finally here. Like you said, we, the stage has been set Two undefeated teams going at it. It's going to be a blast. Yeah, I mean, I have nothing more to add. I'm st- I'm psyched for this week. Enjoy it. If you're on Twitter, be careful how much you're on there. It's probably a little too toxic, a toxic for anybody environment right this now. Week. <laughs> so, you know, balance it out with like a cup of tea, you know, get off the phone, get off the internet for a little while if you have to. Don't let it consume you, but have a little fun with it too. It's a fun week. Um, it's, uh, it's a wild week if you're lucky enough to be like in high school or, or anywhere where you're surrounded by a lot of fans from either fan base, whether that's your office, your school, maybe you're on campus. Um, just enjoy it. Have a little fun. Don't take it too far. But um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a fun week. We're going to be digging into it. We'll get our predictions out there Friday before the game. Um, but that's yeah. All I got. There we go. So uh, apologies. I know there was a couple, you know, little moments there. I, I don't know if it was the internet. Uh, one of our sides, I, I, I did hear there was a couple times we cut out there. So apologies. We'll try to get that worked out. If you liked what you heard, make sure you subscribe and share it with a couple friends. Keeps growing and growing. So I think you guys are doing your homework here and sharing it with a Spartan um, for, for all the people there. We'll keep that going here in, in this type of episode where there's a lot of historical context and we go through some fun stories from the past. If you enjoyed this kind of stroll down memory lane, just share it with a Spartan friend who maybe you you've got a buddy that you went to school with back in the nineties or whatever the case may be. And was, Oh dude, they, they talked about this game. You remember where we were uh, just share the podcast. We really appreciate that. Uh, follow us on Twitter. The links are in the episode notes. And uh, other than that, again, it's Michigan week. It's finally here. Enjoy it. Like, like Scott said there, don't take it too far, uh, but enjoy it. And, and we'll have ourselves a great week here. So Until then, go green, go white. Take care, folks.